What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by my main man. He's Hoops Hype's capologist. He's one of my good friends. And more importantly, he's going to be a dad. I think that's the most important piece of yeah. news. Scott Obama. I think that's the most important piece of news that we're going to share on the podcast. So first off, wanted to wish you and your wife congratulations on that, brother. Looking forward to being a godfather soon. Uh, thank you, Mike. Yeah, I'm super excited. Pretty fresh news. And yeah, I'm excited to bring another cap dork into the world. Well, obviously, folks, I wanted to shout out Yossi for that. But we are going to touch on some basketball stuff as well. Um, we're going to touch on Jalen Brown's extension coming up in a little bit in the pod. We've got some updates on Lowry Markinen to look at, uh, a little bit of intel on Austin Reeves' free agency. Uh, and we're going to talk about some players who could be traded due to luxury tax concerns and, and some roster crunches around the league that I know fans for select teams are monitoring. So, uh, Pop the Bear, I appreciate you joining me on the line, brother. Let's Let's start with... Jalen Brown and his uh, his historic extension. So Jalen Brown agrees to the five-year, $304 million Supermax contract extension. It's the richest in NBA history. Uh, it's fully guaranteed. It's got a trade kicker. Uh, for Boston, there's no player option at the end of the deal, which is obviously important to them. Um, I would say, obviously, from a roster construction standpoint for Boston, um, you know, despite people talking about, well, maybe they should break up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I can't say I ever thought that while they don't necessarily fit as like a hand in glove one two punch, they're still very effective and they're still young in the prime of their careers. Um, by keeping Brown, it's going to obviously extend Boston's title window with with him and, and Jason Tatum, who's probably going to get a historic extension that tops this one down the line. But Yossi, when, when you looked at this um, from not only a roster perspective, but a cap perspective, what stuck out to you? Because this is obviously a boatload of money for Jalen Brown, and it's going to take up a lot of cap space for Boston looking ahead. It will. I definitely saw this coming. I've, I've been one of the things I've been wondering with this new CBA is if more teams are going to start negotiating with their uh, all stars that are not necessarily the elite uh, top of the, you know, top five, top 10 ish players instead of giving them no brainer maxes who they try to negotiate a little bit. And, uh, you know, with a player like Jalen Brown, I was wondering what if instead of giving him the full 35 max, Maybe they try to get it for like 32, 33, something like that. And uh, that, so that clearly wasn't, you know, didn't, I don't even know if that was close, but uh, gets the full 35. Currently projected, uh, the, the numbers that were tweeted are based on the cap rising by the max 10%, which, you know, may, I don't know if that's going to happen, but either way, you've got Jalen making, you know, 60 something million a year on average. And when I tweeted the numbers today, I think the most consistent engagement I got were people quote tweeting it and be like, what this much for Jalen 69 million for Jalen at year five. And I think, uh, you know, 
in some way, yeah, I kind of understand the uh, shock. And I was, I'm a little skeptical that it's going to be the best value contract on the Celtics end. Uh, I think Jalen does have some room to grow. I really like him as a player. But to give him this type of contract and, you know, now Jason Tatum's coming up, he's going to get an even bigger deal. Uh, I'm sure in the end, Jalen Brown can be traded if if that if it comes to that. Uh, not, obviously, not having the player option helps with that. Um, so you know, I'm a little I'm a little uh, down on this type of contract personally, but I think I understand I understand why they gave it to him. It's very hard to replace. He's a, he's got the best. He's the best, most important player type. Very hard to get a guy as good as him. Um, and as long as the cap keeps rising, it should be fine in the end because eventually he won't be uh, having the biggest contract. It's going to be it's going to be Jason Tatum next year, and then it's going to be somebody else. As long as the cap keeps rising, so uh, as long as that's happening, it'll it should be fine. The Celtics will survive. They'll be good. They'll be able to improve the roster going forward. Uh, but I guess relatively speaking, should he be making the same percentage of the cap as? the Giannis's or the Jokic's that's the perspective I'm coming from. But anyways, the Celtics, they're now probably not going to have that much flexibility going forward. Assuming they keep the roster intact, they're going to be over the second tax apron that basically restricts them from increasing payroll other than resigning their own players, drafting players and, and signing minimum players. So they're pretty locked into this roster as it is. They've got Tatum and Brown, Porzingis, Brogdon, White, Robert Williams, and then, you know, who knows how many more years of Al Horford, but that's six to seven players right there that uh, they're, they're, they're going to have to depend on over this window. Uh, they can do some trades to try to get under the second apron and get some more flexibility, do a bigger trade. They still have all their picks. So they've got, they've, they still do have some flexibility, but once that Tatum contract kicks into it's gonna be pretty tight ship to manage there. I agree with you there. I mean, we're obviously gonna touch on uh the luxury tax a little bit more on the pod, but you know, it's interesting. We talk about Jalen Brown's uh extension now. When you look at another move that was made this summer, we saw DeMontis Sabonis agree to a renegotiation and an extension deal with the Sacramento Kings. And there's another candidate to keep an eye on down the line for something similar. Uh, Utah Jazz forward Lowry Markinen is a renegotiation and extension candidate for next year to keep an eye on. So at least from what I've heard, um, currently Markinen is, is going to get about 17.3 million this season. And then after that, he's only guaranteed $6 million out of his $18 million salary for the 2024-25 season. Um, I mean, we saw obviously what Sacramento did with their cap space to make it happen with Sabonis. Um, given your expertise, brother, I'm curious, uh, what do you think of that scenario for Lowry Markinen potentially with the Utah Jazz looking ahead as a guy that just – evolved into an all-star before our eyes this season and had the best year of his career. I'm expecting that to happen. That's something I just recently looked into, and I would be surprised if it doesn't happen. Out of all the things 
if I had to predict what's going to happen next offseason, number one, Tatum signs a Supermax. Number two, Lori does this renegotiation. Uh, so the Jazz, they only use their cap space this summer. Uh, other than uh, signing Omer Yurtsevin to $2.8 million, they use their cap space on, to trade for Collins and then to uh, renegotiate Jordan Clarkson. And they gave him uh, a deal at Rose's contract by a salary by about $10 million. Then they dropped it by, uh, I believe, the maximum 40%. So now he's going to make like $15 million over the next two years. And the Jazz, they're in a position where they already have a lot of important roster spots filled. Uh, they have a, they really have a rotation already going into next year. And they've got a lot of young players that they just drafted and they figure to be part of the, the rotation. They're going to have another pick next summer. And I would imagine that they're going to want to use their cap space. I've got them at roughly like a little over 35 mil. I'm sure they're going to want to uh, – They're. They're. I don't know if they're going to be going after players. They didn't go after anyone this year. And next year's free agency market's not looking any better talent-wise than what we just had this year. So I would – I really think they're – especially after seeing them do this for Jordan Clarkson, I would be surprised if they don't do the same for Laurie Markkinen. Um, they could – I'm not sure if they – one thing they could potentially do is – raise the salary up to the max next year uh, and then uh, go from there, whether it's increase or decrease um, or keep it kind of flat. I think there's definitely a number they can get him at to then work with, to get his, uh, to really extend them at whatever it is that he wants. Cause right now his, ex- his, uh, his biggest extension, I think would average him out at like, 25 to 30 million a year, somewhere in that range. I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head, but they can bring that number up much higher and then uh, make do a significant raise off that. So there's a lot of different scenarios they could do with the renegotiation and extension. And I would, I, I just, I think that's a, a lock to happen. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting too to see if they find, if Utah finds its way in the Damian Lillard trade talks and if they end up with a guy like Tyler Hero, but obviously all yeah. that's fluid. Um, certainly. Got the assets. Yeah. I mean, do you think that if they got Hero, that would matter for marketing for a renegotiation and extension though? No, uh, not if, no, I don't think so. If they're trading someone who is under contract next season, like what, for example, let's say they trade Colin Sex and that's like the biggest and let's say he's the biggest long-term salary that they have going into next season. They turn him into uh, 27 mil or whatever it is of Tyler Hero. They still should have enough cap space after to uh, to give Laurie a big raise. I mean, I certainly think Lowry would like that. Uh, he's got a, got a spot in Utah now um, living uh, in, in terms of a house. So something to keep an eye on there. Um, yeah. I think he, you know, he certainly earned it. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I, when I realized he had like only six million of that eighteen million dollars salary guaranteed for the twenty twenty four twenty five season. I was like, man, that's that's something they're gonna eventually look to pick up. But again, all in due time. Um, but you know, you were talking too, brother, about like the free agency market this year um, and what it would look like next year. Well, one of the guys that stayed 
was Austin Reeves. And a lot of times you see guys stay in free agency with their own teams. Um, I know Fred Van Vliet was obviously the extraordinarily large exception to that, given the money that he got. But, um, you know, Austin Reeves recently told all the smoke um, on Showtime that the Rockets and the Spurs were possibilities before he re-signed with the Lakers. And the Spurs considered offering Reeves a restricted free agency sheet worth $21 million per season, league sources told Hoopsype, um, from what I've heard. And ultimately, however, the Spurs were scared off by the widespread belief that the Lakers would match any offer sheet for Reeves and they chose to preserve that cap space as a salary dump destination for future draft pick compensation. As for the Rockets, they were closely monitoring Reeves' situation because they were prepared to make a big offer sheet if Fred Van Vliet didn't sign with them, uh, sources told me. And I, I thought that was an interesting dynamic there. And I'm, I'm more curious, I think, with Austin, you know, looking ahead down the line, you talk about when the cap goes up for guys like Jalen Brown and whatnot, got a four-year deal. You can opt out of that with a player option in year four after three years. Um, just regarding like Austin and, and, and the Lakers and where they're at. And if you feel like there was anything that you wanted to touch on, even with, uh, you know, with San Antonio or, or Houston that came to your mind after hearing those little tidbits. Right, so the Spurs were definitely a team that seemed like the one that made a lot of sense to give Reeves an offer sheet. Uh, and I understand, I get why in the end it didn't fall through. When I when Reeves really started uh, blowing up after Westbrook got traded and he got the ball in his hands a lot more, he really got to explore the studio space. Um, one, it seemed it seemed pretty clear that he was going to get uh, the contract offer from the Lakers that he did, which is the most that they were able to offer. But then the conversation started shifting to, well, hold on. What, what about another team offering him more money than what the Lakers can offer with their cap space? And I think at some point, like when, when he's really cooking in the playoffs, we're thinking, what if he gets, the full uh, max that his uh, the through that the he's allowed to get with the Gilbert Arenas provision, which came out to four years, one hundred one mil, and it seemed like a pretty, it seemed like a reasonable scenario because I there's definitely it seemed pretty clear that the Lakers were going to match, and if a team felt that strong enough about that, then. Why not? Even as a, I think Reeves is a, obviously a great player, and with the cap going up, there's a definitely a scenario where he, um, you know, he, he for the team that gives him that contract, he would have been making flat twenty five million a year. If the Lakers matched it, that he would have had uh, the front loaded back years where he'd make uh, high thirties. So for the, if a team valued Reeves at 25 million a year, it's very possible he would have uh, reached the, that value. And then worst case is you make you just give the Lakers a hard time two years from now when he, they got to pay him a lot more money. Uh, and I remember I was writing about the situation in early and around March once Reeves really started uh, improving and the conversation started. My gut told me ultimately 
no one will really give them that kind of offer because restricted free agency just historically doesn't work that way. Uh, especially recently, restricted free agency has sort of died. Uh, teams don't really want to make offer sheets to players if they know early enough that it's very likely to get matched. They don't want to get their cap space tied up in situations uh, like that for a couple of days. Those are pretty, you know, timing is pretty key in free agency, especially in the early parts of it. So as far as the deal he got, I, it seems like in the end, it, it's a fine deal. Um, he got the, it seems like he got all the bells and whistles, I believe a player option, trade kicker. And uh, I'm sure the Lakers are pretty relieved though, that no one gave him any huge offer uh, like that. And the Spurs, I think they were pretty responsible with their cap space regardless. They didn't go after really anybody. Uh, like, then I don't, I don't think they went. I don't think they signed really any new player. I think they mostly re-signed the guys that they already had, like Trey Jones and some of their other younger players. And they got a lot of second rounders facilitating salary dumps. They have some pretty quality uh, rotation players that I think you know we'll get into a little later. But players that probably won't be on the Spurs a good amount of them as they're, they're facing a really big uh, roster crunch right now. And um, yeah, the Rockets seemed like they were going to get something in the end. I know they missed out on Brooke Lopez, but they, with the amount of money they were offering, even on short-term deals, they were bound to get some of the targets they were linked to early on. Yeah. I mean, the Brooke Lopez thing was fascinating because I think it really started a domino from there. Um, yeah, it explains a lot of what they were doing, like the Dylan Brooks sign and trade, because what they were doing, they couldn't fit all those guys within cap space. And then it, it kind of, and then once we, I, I know they had a lot of cap space left over and they ended up just getting more money to Brooks and uh, Jeff Green. But had mm-hmm. they gotten Brook Lopez, it all would have made a lot more sense. Well, you know what, you, since you touched on it real quick, certainly Houston thought they really had a strong chance to get Brook Lopez. Um, and you touched on it. So Dylan Brooks ends up getting more money. Jeff Green had originally agreed to a one-year, $6 million deal. Then um, once the Lopez talks fell through, there was a follow-up conversation after the initial agreement and a scenario where it was pitched to you know Jeff Green, well, would you want to do a longer deal? And that's how he ended up getting a little bit more money on the front end there. And uh, that's how that kind of came about. So Brooke Lopez really had a domino effect. And then look what look what it did for Jock Londale. Jock Londale ends up getting, uh, what did he end up getting? Four for uh, four 32. Four for 36. Four for 30, yeah. I mean, it was even that high. 32, yeah. Yeah, right. I, it was like $8 million a year. And, and with Jock, I mean, to my understanding, I think he would have, I, I'm pretty sure from what I've heard that Jack Londale this this upcoming season is going to make probably double more than uh, what Phoenix was kind of looking at at that point. So to me, it was a no-brainer for him to go uh, to Houston. And that certainly benefited him financially, even though uh, looking ahead, that contract is structured uh, with some non-guarantees so it could be traded. Um, but still overall for Jack Londale, a win. Um 
and his camp for sure. Certainly for Dylan Brooks's camp, that was a win when all of NBA Twitter had this guy going to the Shanghai Sharks. Well, the joke was on NBA Twitter because Dylan Brooks uh, broke the bank and uh, took all the checks with him as well. But you know what, brother, since you did touch on a little bit uh, that Spurs roster crunch there, I mean, let's let's pivot to that and let's take a look at some of these uh, NBA roster crunches around the league. We've got several teams uh, we can look at that are a little bit over flood, overflowing Excuse me, with players on the roster. So you've got the Spurs, the Grizzlies, the Thunder, uh, the Clippers, Hawks, and Wizards at the moment uh, that come to mind. And um, I'll kind of let you take it away from there on uh, the Spurs and, and some of those teams and guys that you're kind of keeping an eye on uh, that that could get crunched uh, due to the NBA roster limit with those teams. Right. So, uh, and as we know, the NBA roster limit, they don't, teams don't need to get to 15 players until – uh, prior to the start of the regular season or like, you know, a day before or something like that. So there's still a lot of time until we get there. Uh, and I'm sure most of these players we're going to talk about, uh, yeah, some of them could get cut, some of them could get moved, but I wouldn't expect the wave of these moves to happen until we get to October. And I think the Spurs, yeah, let's start with them. I think they have a very interesting one because they have a lot of very good players that uh, – I would think that are avail- very much available and could potentially get cut if they aren't moved. So right now the Spurs have 17 players on standard contracts. Um, and that's uh, before that's uh, including uh, Sandro Ma- uh, Mamu, who he hasn't re-signed officially yet, but he's expected to have a standard contract. And, the other, so that's already two players that they need to uh, cut eventually to accommodate for that because they're at 17. But uh, there's Dominic Barlow. He has a uh, qualifying offer right now with the Spurs. He had a really strong outing at Summer League. He's someone that could potentially get a ro- uh, uh, a uh, standard roster spot with them. And second round pick, CD Sissoko, I don't think he's supposed to be stashed or anything like that. So Unless they're giving him a two-way, he seems like another candidate. So if those two players are being factored in for standard roster spots as well, then you they they essentially have four uh, potential players that they need to uh, cut. So I mentioned uh, – did I mention anyone else? So I, so, uh, I could go – so just in order of salaries, there's Devontae Graham, uh, $12 million this year, uh, small partial guarantee next year. I think that shouldn't be uh, hard to cut if they needed to. Uh, Reggie Bullock, 11 mil expiring contract. I think he still can help a lot of teams. They uh, have Ken Birch, who I can't – I think that one might, might be a strong one to get cut just because they have quite a lot of big men right now. Um, he might not factor into their rotation. Osmond seems like a pretty good trade candidate if they were to move him. Uh, I think there should be some good interest on him. And then uh, Cameron Payne, they just got him. Uh, he could definitely help out there. They could use another guard, especially if uh, Graham doesn't stick around. But I just, it just seems like these veterans, they all seem pretty expendable. I don't know. Most of them were just recently acquired, so... Uh, and they were mainly, uh, it, they weren't really players the Spurs were targeting. They were players they had to take in 
uh, either the other team sending them out needed to include them for salary matching purposes or to save money. And the Spurs got a bunch of second round picks for facilitate, facilitating these trades. So I think that's the most interesting one just because there are, in my opinion, they have the most good players that can help good teams now uh, that are going to potentially be available. There's obviously a lot of roster crunches around the league there with them, the Grizzlies and whatnot. I mean, look, I'll say this for the Spurs. This is my thoughts on some of those teams. I mean, with the Spurs, Reggie Bullock, I certainly think is a valuable 3 and D guy that playoff teams could look at. Um, Kem Birch is a backup big, maybe. Um, Osman's got a tradable salary campaign as a backup point guard fits um, for sure. And, you know, just like around the league otherwise, like Oklahoma City, um, it's kind of crazy with <laughs> Victor Oladipo there um, in the final year of his deal. Um, but I, I look yeah. at a guy like Davies Bertans and I say to myself, you know, he he's a guy that they've had a knack for rehabilitating guys in a way and, and making them tradable kind of like they did with uh, Al Horford. So I wonder if uh, they're going to be able to strike twice there with that. Um, and then like you touched on, I think a little bit, some, some other guys there, but uh, I mean, to me, like, these are all like backing guys, but San Antonio, I think has some of the better players uh, that could make a difference on teams for sure. Um, Any other guys you wanted to touch on there? Or if not, uh, I definitely wanted to pick your brain on some players that could get traded because of the luxury tax coming up. Yeah. So OKC is interesting. Everyone on Twitter seems to be playing the game. Like who are going to be those uh, five or so cuts uh, or players that get traded. So uh, Rudy Gay, that was a pretty easy cut just because they weren't, they can't really, there's no, there's not too much utility in keeping him around. They can't aggregate him. They couldn't aggregate him in a potentially bigger trade. So uh, compared to guys like Oladipo and Bertans, where they acquired them with cap space, those guys could be combined in a bigger trade later. Uh, so just uh, moving, uh, cutting Gay now, that made a lot of sense. Uh, then you've got, then, yeah, you can, uh, look at those other two. I mentioned Oladipo, Bertans, uh, both essentially on, uh, Oladipo's on expiring deal. He's injured. Uh, if they can't do anything with him, I think they'll probably look to cut him. Bertans has a small partial guarantee next year for, uh, 5 million. So, uh, with that in mind, that makes it uh, also more of an easier cut than expected. He does have that early termination option, but very small partial guarantee. So I think those are the two next ones to probably not be on the roster one way or another, whether it's being cut or trade. Uh, a couple other names, Ty Ty Washington, Usman Garuba, they were brought in a part of a salary dump from the Hawks who gave OKC some second round picks. Not very clear if they're if they if they're guys that they want to take a shot on at all. So just because they brought him in through the salary dump, I gotta assume that right now they're not really in their plans. So those are other players I think could get rerouted or cut. Uh, and then there's then like the last 
uh, spot or so, which would be uh, a young player that was on the roster last year or potentially Jack White, depending on what his deal looks like. Uh, some names that have been discussed is like Jeremiah Robinson Whirl, even though they just fully guaranteed him. I don't see them cutting Isaiah Joe or Andrew Wig or Aaron Wiggins. So, and then like, and then maybe on the fringes, maybe they want to, if they could find a suitable trade, maybe they move a guy like Poku or Trey Mann, one of the uh, players on rookie scale contracts whose contracts are ending soon and haven't uh, quite lived up to what they were hoping, but they got some, they got these roster cringes coming up. So those are other players that I could keep an eye on. Um, and then on the fringes, I guess uh, Memphis has a slightly interesting one. There are 17 players. I would guess Isaiah Todd, who they got a, from Phoenix from a salary dump. He's the guy to go. And then they got one more guy, and I, it's it's an interesting spot. Maybe Josh Christopher. I don't know if they brought him in because that was a player they liked, but also just another type of trade where they helped uh, another team out, uh, in this case, Houston, so they can sign and trade for Brooks. So I'm not sure where he, uh, where they hold him in their, how highly they hold him in their plans, but uh, they've got some, they've got several players that are all pretty similar, similarly talented that uh, seem, seem pretty good. And one of them is going to get squeezed. You know what else is interesting too? I mean, look, uh, the guys around the league, they could get traded to help on luxury tax savings. I mean, one name that came to mind for me was Kira Lewis with the New Orleans Pelicans because they could trade Lewis and they can add a player on on the veteran minimum for the upcoming season and avoid the luxury tax. Uh, the Pelicans previously waived Garrett Temple, as I had reported for Hoopsype, and they're among the teams expected to have interest in forward Rudy Gay, as I also had reported uh, in one of my previous Intel pieces on Hoopsype. Um, I touched a little bit recently, too, on P.J. Tucker being a trade candidate uh, because of the James Harden trade talks and his involvement in that. So, brother, when you look at the league and you canvass it, who are some notable names and teams where you think that there could be a trade to make some luxury tax savings coming up? I think you named the two teams that are probably most expected to do those type of trades. Uh, Kira Lewis, it seems like more of a matter of when he'll get traded than if. Um, they He's making $5.7 million this year. And even if they just trade him for a minimum player, just someone making a little bit less, uh, that should be enough to get them under the tax. Uh, and the Sixers, so they are now slightly over after matching the uh, offer sheet for Paul Reed that the Jazz gave them. And as we know, the Sixers are looking to prioritize cap space in 2024. There's a, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if what by the time we reach next summer, if Embiid is the only Sixer player under contract heading into free agency, maybe him and Paul Reed. And with that in mind, uh, PJ Tucker is one of the few Sixers under contract for next season. He's got that uh, player option, I think 11 or 12 mil. And with the Sixers looking to prioritize cap space, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they trade him 
not just for that, but also to potentially get under the tax this year. Obviously, a hardened trade could do that. A Tobias trade could do that. But also a P.J. Tucker trade of some sort could do that as well. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, anybody like maybe Kyle Lowry with the Dame Lillard trade talks, depending on how that goes? Yes, that's right. Uh, Miami... If if they don't, so if they get Dame, they're probably they're, they're going to be over the tax. I cannot uh, envision a deal that somehow they're paying three guys max contracts and not being over the tax. But let's say they don't get Dame, and the longer it goes, maybe I think maybe some of us get less confident. But let's say the the Heat don't get him, they're probably going to want to stay under the tax again if they don't to make a significant improvement to the roster. Uh, I mean, to some, maybe the heat got worse after losing Gabe Bitson and Max Drews. Um, so yeah, the Kyle Lowry trade, if they can trade him for a cheaper player or two, that could be enough to get him under the tax. And, and just briefly to those who think maybe they got worse. If you get Dame Lillard, you're fine. The Miami heat, they have a knack for finding undrafted guys. Like, they'll be fine. We've seen it with Orlando Robinson, um, yeah, among others I, already. I, I think but, they ultimately uh, – I think they were right to not uh, – to, to hold on and not overpay. Yeah. Uh, or like, you know, give contracts that they consider not good value contracts as Struis and Vincent. Yeah, and I, I mean – they they'll learn from their 2017 mistakes. Absolutely. And, I mean, as we kind of – Look, to wrap up the pod, I mean, brother, I was curious from your take as a capologist, when you look at the way like some of these teams have operated with that second apron luxury tax, it almost seems to me like, I don't know, it's almost like a hard cap for some teams, except for obviously, you know, you touched on the Celtics and the other guy that really sticks out to me that doesn't seem to care is Matt Ishbia with the Phoenix Suns. They're clearly all in looking ahead. Um just as we wrap up here, what are your quick thoughts on kind of that, that second apron luxury tax and how it's affecting teams going forward? Because from executives I've talked to, you know, well, the majority of them are obviously trying to avoid it um, if they can, and, and they're not a true title contender. Uh, so I think it, lo- it seems to me so far, based on what we've seen this offseason, that there are going to – we're going to have – maybe more teams than I anticipated willing to go over the second apron. Uh, That could change once they're actually in there. And if they don't get the results they're looking for, but as we can see right now, the Suns, uh, the Celtics to some degree, the Warriors, the Clippers, I mean, those two teams are, have always been big spenders and uh, the Memphis Grizzlies after giving Bain the contract they did, they're going to have, they're probably going to, they're going to, looks like they're going to for sure be over the second apron next year. So that's already five, six teams that could be over next year. Next year's when all those reported uh, restrictions and penalties really start to kick in. Right now, the team's over it. It's just mostly, uh, okay, you can't, no mid-level, no buyouts, uh, but you don't have to, you don't start to see those draft pick uh, penalties that come later. Um, and, uh, the trade restrictions, uh, if you, you can't, uh, the, once you're over it next year, you can't increase salary in a trade. You can't aggregate players in a trade. 
Um, so I, I would have to say that I, I think there's a way for teams to navigate being over it. And that's mostly if you're a team uh, like OKC, Utah, New Orleans, for example, to have a surplus of draft picks, because that's really the number one way to keep your to fill out roster spots and keep your window going uh, is really through the draft and accumulating draft picks and then maybe doing something with those picks since they have value. Um, and so I think that's the best way to navigate it just based on, you know, just my speculation. We obviously haven't seen teams be over it yet. Well, it's, we haven't really experienced it at all, but time will tell really. I, it seems that there's more not, I guess, lack for a better better word, enthusiasm to be over it. Mm-hmm. But time will tell to see if these teams are really uh, willing to stick to it. Well, we'll see how those teams navigate it. We're going to see soon how you navigate fatherhood. I'm very excited for you, brother. And I appreciate you joining me on the line, my man, as always. Anytime, brother. I also want to thank everybody else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members, You can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter, at Mike A. Scotto, and my man, Yossi Goslin, at Yossi Goslin. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. 